So many of us live our lives carrying too much that costs us too much. This idea really serves as sort of like the thesis behind this series that we're continuing on today called Too Expensive. Because I believe and we believe that it's time to stop wasting our life on what's too expensive that we carry. What's too expensive that holds us down and pulls us back. But to walk in the fullness of who God has created us to be. Because some of us have... Uh, have some, some habits, <laughs> we have some, some ways we go about doing things, and they are too expensive. And so we've been working, starting in part one, to break these off our lives. If you missed part one, I would encourage you to go back and watch it as we discussed what shame is doing to us and how shame is too expensive. It is costing you too much because it's robbing you from the potential that God has put on the inside of you. It is limiting you from being and becoming everything God has for you. But today, somebody in the chat right now at Church Online say today. Today we're going in a different direction. This series is not one that really builds off of one another from week to week. But I want to unpack and unlock another reality of life that quite honestly is too expensive. And as we continue this journey, if you're joining us at Church Online, listen to the podcast, watching this on YouTube, and you're uh, sort of in real time with this. You're here as, as we're recording this and sending this out. This is uh, the weekend that we celebrate. Remember Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his contribution to our world, the, the fact that our country and our world is a better place because of his life and his leadership. I think it is very appropriate as we remember on this weekend, as we volunteer and we celebrate and even we worship, that silence is too expensive. Silence is too expensive. I came to spend a few moments today charging you with this reality, that your silence on certain things, your silence on certain issues. Your silence in certain sectors is too expensive. I have some, some yearly habits that aren't, they're not glamorous, okay? They're not the yearly habit where it's like, every year you find me for a week on this beach in the Caribbean. No, 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 I don't really have habits like that. But I do have some habits that when certain days hit, I like to do those things. And one of those comes around on Martin Luther King Day. Every year on MLK Day, while I certainly will throw on my, my grizzly attire and be rooting for our boys as they play whoever they play, um, one of the habits that I also have found myself doing now for probably the last eight to 10 years is finding a quiet few moments and sitting down with a writing from Dr. King. It's a writing known as the letters from a Birmingham jail. And this particular writing is not some puff piece by Dr. King. It is not some uh, carefully curated or watered down collection of quotes 
that uh, has been made digestible by people who really still harbor racism in their heart, but they don't want to look so racist, so they're going to tweet this quote or post this picture of a Dr. King quote that they can sort of resonate with, but then it's going to give the man the ability to holler back and say, that's not what I meant. No, 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 that's not letters from a Birmingham jail. Letters from a Birmingham jail is uh, quite honestly a direct, sometimes abrasive call to people that look like me. Even more specifically, if you read it, it's not only people that look like me, it is people who uh, do what I do. The, 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 the center of the bullseye with the target audience in the letters from a Birmingham jail, quite honestly, are white pastors, particularly in the southern United States at that time. And it's a call by Dr. King to wake up to realize that the only people oppressing, the only people causing trouble, the only people making it hard for, for justice, hard for change, hard for some, some sort of, of equality to be reality, aren't just those who, who are on the front lines being their enemy. It's not just those, if I could rewind some 60, 70 years, it's not just those who, who put on white capes and pointed hats. It's not just those who would burned down buildings that were owned by black business owners. It's not just those. It's those who sit silently and say nothing. It's a call from Dr. King to do something, to say something, and to recognize that passively standing by is too expensive. And on this weekend, where across our country we remember the life, legacy, and leadership of Dr. King. I want to use this opportunity while it's front of mind to charge you in this reality that we must speak. Come on, whether you are young or old, you must speak. Whether you are brown, black, white, you must speak. Whether you are someone with a lot of resources or very little resources, you find yourself as a college student, retired, working a job, owning a company, working multiple part-time jobs. We must be people who speak. And yes, we must speak about those issues that Dr. King opened our eyes on to see that these atrocities should not be. They should not be because we all are created in the image of God. We also must speak on those issues that are significant to God. Because to say nothing is too expensive. We must be people who count the cost of silence and recognize that our silence is too expensive. And so before we open God's word today and begin to dive into this text that will charge us in this way, I want to take a moment and give you two thoughts, if you will, to help prepare us for where we're going. So get those notes out. Be ready to write these down. Somebody maybe even type these down in the chat for me if you want to help out. Here we go. Here we go. I want you to understand today when I say silence is too expensive, that we cannot, please write this down, we cannot be speakers on everything that desires our speaking. When I say that your silence is too expensive, I'm not trying to turn you into somebody that has a comment on everything that comes across your newsfeed. I'm not trying to tell you that every social issue or every, uh, uh, 
every idea that may present itself in the public square with differing opinions needs you to chime in on it. No, there's this pressure today, though, that we have to say something about everything. We have to le release some perfect-to-me statement on every single thing, lest I'm no longer going to shop with you, <laughs> or I'm no longer going to eat with your establishment, or I'm no longer going to worship with you, or I'm no longer going to see you as somebody who has anything that can add value to my life. That's a pressure nobody should live under. And when I say your silence is too expensive, I am not saying that you need to now become someone who offers conversation and conjecture on everything looking for commentary in today's world. That's not what I'm saying. We cannot be speakers on everything that desires our speaking because everything will come knocking at the door and saying, give me a comment, knocking at the door and say, hey, why don't you say something about what bothers me? Say something. We cannot and should not live under that because one, we can't do that well. And secondly, we cannot and should not do that because quite honestly, um, that's not what God's called us to. But there's a second reality that's equally significant that I want you to grab and write this down in your notes as well, too. We cannot be silent on subjects that demand our speaking. Oh, we cannot be speakers on everything that desires our speaking. But we cannot be silent on subjects that demand our speaking. And by demand, I don't mean forced by culture, or I don't mean everyone saying something about it, so why don't you say something about it? But I do mean that because of what God's word says, and or because the reality of who God has made you to be, or what he's called you to do, or who he's called you to serve, you gotta say something. Can I tell you, that's why for years I, as a preacher, I as a pastor, I as a leader, in this city, I, I as someone who I understand my whiteness, but I also understand that I serve a very diverse group of people. And I believe God's church should be a very diverse organism. I have for years and years and years preached against the atrocity, the sin that is racism. I have done series. I have preached sermons. It has been woven into the fabric of my communication for years and years and years now. In fact, if I'm being honest with you, the first person I ever heard preach against racism was me. And I don't say that arrogantly. I just say that as if it was a subject matter that for whatever reason, it seemed to have been avoided in the circles that I ran in. And yet the spirit of God convicted me that your silence is deafening. You have to say something because your silence is too expensive. So why do I even to this day continue to preach against racism, call people to wrestle with their racist tendencies, their racist biases, to recognize that racism in all of its forms is, is literally sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a how you was brought up. And I didn't really. It is sin. Because of who God made me to be. And who he's called me to be. And what his word says. I have to say something. See we cannot be silent on subjects that demand 
are speaking. And I believe this is true for you too. You may see yourself as a leader, you may not. You may see yourself as someone whose words are significant, you may not. Here's what is true for every person. Every person watching, every person listening, every person uh, tuning into the podcast a year later, hear me. There are people in your world right now who your words carry weight with. And you need to understand that God has called you and equipped you and given you influence. And maybe he gave you the influence he gave you to say something. And maybe your silence is too expensive. Today, for a few moments, I want to turn your attention to an incredible Example in the scriptures of someone who did say something. It's found in the Old Testament in the book known as Esther. And the book of Esther, while it's sort of buried in its order in the middle of your Old Testament, if you were to open a Bible right now and find Esther, sort of buried in the middle of the Old Testament, chronologically you would find Esther as really one of the last historical things that happens in the Old Testament before we turn the page and it's the New Testament and here comes Jesus, right? Like, chronologically, it's, 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 it's there at the end. And the book of Esther is one key bizarre story <laughs> told out over the course of, I believe, 10 chapters. And it's centered around this Hebrew woman who became queen of Persia known as Esther. She became queen because the king at the time, king who uh, he got in this drunken rage and kicked out the current queen because she would not come and present herself as the trophy doll of a queen that he wanted her to be. So in his drunkenness and in his anger, he kicks her out, hosts a beauty pageant, and Esther wins the beauty pageant. Some of y'all are like, this does not sound like the Bible. I promise you, the Bible is interesting. You should read it. This is, what, this is Esther. This is what goes on in Esther. Esther wins this beauty pageant and finds herself as queen of Persia, yet she hides her ethnicity. She hides her Hebrew culture all along. The king's primary leader, his right-hand man, if you will, is a man named Haman. And Haman is incredibly prideful. If I could be so crass and kind of help you to get a picture of him while we don't know his stature, if you are familiar with the concept of little man syndrome, uh, Haman seems to have that. Because Haman decides that because he's so powerful now, what he wants is everybody who sees him walking down the street to bow down to him. Who wants that? Haman does. And Haman decides that he wants there, And so he puts out this order and has everybody do this. And everybody does this for the most part, except a gentleman by the name of Mordecai. Mordecai is a follower of God. He's a Hebrew as well. In fact... He is Esther, Queen Esther's uncle. And Mordecai says, I will not bow to anyone but my God. And this makes Haman so angry because he's so insecure. He sets up a, a, a dinner with the king where he gets the king drunk. That's a theme in the book of Esther. A little side theme that like uh, leaders that get drunk often make really bad decisions. I don't know. But like the king gets drunk and... 
Haman convinces the king that he should enact this law to where they wipe out all Hebrew people from his kingdom. Many of the Hebrew people had gone back to their land after the, after the uh, captivity they were taken into, the exile they were pulled into. But there were still some hanging around, like Esther, like Mordecai. And Haman convinces the king to set a date where every Hebrew person, whether they bowed or not, would be taken out. This means that for Haman, he could now, everywhere he goes, have everybody bow to him because he would be done with Mordecai. But unbeknownst to them, this would also include Queen Esther. And so then we find Mordecai getting wind of this plan before it has been made public knowledge and before even Esther, the queen of Persia, a Jewish woman, finds out. And Mordecai tells Esther through a messenger this plan. And that is where we are going to parachute in on the book of Esther. I have just set up for you as best I can where we're at. There is this conversation going on through a messenger between Mordecai, the uncle of the queen, both of whom are Hebrew, but who do not necessarily see eye to eye on the step to be taken at this moment. Look at what the scripture says, the book of Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Only if the king extends the golden scepter will that person live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Essentially, Esther is saying, listen, I know you want me to go say something to the king, but you need to understand that if he don't call me in, basically what the law tells me and what history tells me, and you know the king, he'd be drunk a lot, and sometimes when he'd just be drunk, he'd be doing great things. Like, what happens to me is I die. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. Mordecai had faith. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had ordered him to do. This is, if you will, the tense sort of we're moving into what feels like the climatic moments in the book of Esther. To give you an update on what happens after this, Esther does go before the king. And she goes before the king and says, 
<laughs> I want to throw you a party. And she throws a party, and then at that party she says she wants to throw another party, and then she presents what is going on. And God, through Esther, actually saved the Jewish people. And God, through Esther, also uh, helped the king to see the sort of uh, shady scoundrel that this man Haman was. And Haman ends up getting executed in the way that he wanted Mordecai to be executed. It's a fascinating story. Gory, drunken, beauty pageants. It's wild, y'all. But God used Esther. And he used Esther because of what I shared with you in chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. Because she got to the point where she recognized her silence on a matter was too expensive. It would cost her too much. It would cost others too much for her to stay silent. And so, so she spoke up. And today, I really want to really take you on a little bit of a journey through this story and help connect it to your reality today. Help connect it to the school that you go to, the place that you work, the friends that you have, the neighborhood you live in, the family that is yours in, in an immediate sense and an extended sense to help you to see maybe what God, maybe what the Spirit of God is knocking at the door of your heart saying, I need you to say something about this. I want to help you be prepared for that. I want to help you to not just say to say, but when it matters to God and it matters to God's people and it, and it, and it matters because of where he's placed you and who he's created you to be, you are ready to say something no matter what it costs. So in your notes, I'd love for you to write a few things down as we draw a few takeaways from Esther's reality in chapter four here. That saying something, please write this down, significant always requires doing something uncomfortable. Saying something significant, always, somebody in that chat type always, I don't Always, every single time, if you are going to say something significant, it will require you to do something that is uncomfortable. That is why, friend, that Facebook post, <laughs> that Twitter rant, come on, your TikTok video ain't really saying nothing. Not because it didn't get shared, not because it didn't go viral, not because somebody didn't comment on it and you had like 13 comments on that one post that you had made and you thought, oh, I'm making a difference. No, saying something significant always requires doing something uncomfortable. Our country is filled with social justice warriors who believe the battlefield is their screen and the weapons are their thumbs. And can I tell you, all you're doing out there is playing. There are people who believe in the name of God. They are sharing the gospel. The problem is they're doing it in a means that feels, uh, that, that, that feels so uh, unbecoming of who God is. Because they think they're saying what needs to be said. The problem is it's not uncomfortable for you from the comfort of your couch behind the privacy of your avatar. See, Esther has something that needs to be said. But it will require her to do something very uncomfortable, risk her life. She did not shoot the king an email or send a letter. She, 
She had to do something uncomfortable so that the significance of her words could be heard. See, and as I told you, this king thought of his queens as relatively disposable. The first queen that we are introduced to in the book of Esther is not Esther. But he disposes of her because she won't come and march around like a little trophy doll that she was. That's what scripture says. So she was very beautiful and the king wanted to show off how beautiful she was to his friends who had gotten drunk with him for the previous week. Esther chapter 1. And she wouldn't do that. So she got kicked out of being queen. Which is how Esther became queen. Esther understood that there was danger involved here. That's why she's like, Mordecai, do you understand what you are asking me to do? Do you understand what you are calling me to do? So Esther's assumption of danger is valid. But saying something significant always requires doing something uncomfortable. Now, please hear me. More than likely, the things that God would ask you to say, you won't find yourself in a place of being killed for what you say. But maybe the way people see you and think of you will die because you say what you need to say. See, there are people who probably like you because you won't speak up at your company about how your company treats certain people. Not everybody, but certain people. Certain people get treated worse, not because of the work they do, maybe not even because of the position that they hold, but maybe because of their gender, or maybe because of their ethnicity, or maybe because of their age, or maybe because of how they came to you when they came to you. And so you're willing to pay them this, even though they do that. And you are liked because you see it, but you don't say what you see. There are people who like you because you're their token, if you will. You're their token friend that helps them to be able to say, oh, I got plenty of friends who are, to curb the racist <laughs> assault <laughs> that is true about them whenever it comes upon them. They mention your name, but you never mention to them that you're their only friend who don't look like them. You're the only person in the company that doesn't look like them. And people like you because you have, in your silence, allowed yourself to be somebody's token. There are people who celebrate you and talk about how great you are as a, as a Christian because they're not Christians, but yet you support everything that they think. You support everything that they say. And so it gives them this biblical Jesus-following support for things that go against God's word. But they have your support, so they like it because you sit there in silence. Not because you don't know what to say, but because you're unwilling to do something uncomfortable, which would open the door for you to say what ought to be said. See, we don't say significant things most of the time because we're unwilling to do uncomfortable things. And I came to remind you on today that your silence is too expensive. And it is time that you and I be willing to be uncomfortable, be willing to do uncomfortable things in order to say significant things that God wants said, that God needs said, that matter in your world, that matter in your community because of who you are and where God has placed you now. 
Saying something significant always requires doing something uncomfortable. Also write this down, please. Doing something says something that only saying something doesn't. You say, what? <laughs> doing something says something that only merely saying something does not do. See, when I say silence, I don't mean just in words. I mean often more frequently in action. See, there are plenty of people who will say things that they have no willingness, desire, or plan to ever do anything to change. They will wear a t-shirt. They will say something online. But they will never actually leverage their time, their energy, their influence, their voice, their money, their, 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 their effort, their skill to bring about change. See, it's one thing to just simply offer the words. But what really speaks, what really gets loud is doing. See, maybe you say it's an atrocity that there are people who would go hungry in our city with as much food as we have, as many great restaurants. Here we are in the wealthiest nation on planet Earth, the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Yet people that live on streets with me, people that live next door to me are going hungry. It's an atrocity, you say. But do you show up to serve when there are opportunities to be able to curb and fix that need for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families? See, some of the loudest saying that you'll ever do to meet a need is showing up to meet that need. Not just to offer conjecture about the problem, not just to simply spew words into the space. No, no, no. Sometimes us even talking is us choosing to be silent because what would get real loud is if somebody pushed up their sleeves and did something. Or you say you want diversity as long as diversity falls within the ramifications and the percentages that look like diversity for you. Because the reality is you say you want diversity, but ain't nobody that doesn't look like you ever sat down at your dinner table to eat. Doing something says something that only saying something doesn't. See, it is what you do that makes what you say significant. Somebody needs to type that in the chat right now. Come on, somebody really does, somebody really does need to share this on Twitter right now. Like, like, it's what you do that makes what you say significant. Please understand with Esther, what she said was heard by the king because of what she did. Esther goes in to meet with the king and make this request. But she does so in a fashion she should not have done. But it was doing that in a fashion that she should not have done because of who she was and because of what she had done in the, in the past. They got the king's attention and said, hey, what do you need, queen? What do you want? You can have up to half my kingdom. I, I, I am willing to listen to you because clearly you've come in and clearly you are distressed and clearly you are distraught and clearly there's a need that maybe I can do something for. And so because of how she came in, she was able to be heard. See, it was her action that put weight on her words. 
Some of us won't wait to be on our words simply because they're our words. No, what gives gravitas, what puts weight on the words that you say is the stuff that you do. Doing something says something that only saying something doesn't do. But I want you to also understand like Esther understood or came to understand that you, please write this down, are uniquely positioned to say certain things. You're not uniquely positioned to say everything, to comment and offer conjecture on everything, but you are uniquely positioned to say certain things. See, Esther and her uncle Mordecai, this was not their first time to find out information in advance and communicate it to the king. They had actually, if you read the book of Esther chapter 2, at the end of it, you will find out that Mordecai finds out about an attack coming on the king. And Mordecai tells Esther because she's the queen. And the queen goes and tells the king about this attack. These people are coming to take him out. And when she tells the king, she doesn't say, I found this out. She doesn't say, this is what I want to tell you. She says, Mordecai has something to tell you. I'm just being his messenger. And so the king looked into it, found it to be true, and had it written down in the, in the records of the king that it was Mordecai who had protected him. But we find ourselves in Esther chapter 4, and Haman has this plan. It was to wipe out all the Jews. Mordecai understands this can't come from Mordecai. That the person to say this is not the guy that looked out for him. The person to say this is not some Jewish guy that happened to be an uncle. The person to say this is Esther. She's the only one because she's uniquely positioned. She's the queen. She's uniquely positioned. The king loves her. She's uniquely positioned. The king, we find over and over again, is greatly pleased with his wife, Esther. She is uniquely positioned to say certain things. And can I tell you something today, friend? God has uniquely created you to be and to say and to do on things that only you can be and say and do on. I preach against racism and I champion building a diverse church like I do because of who I am. I recognize that not everybody finds themselves in a reality uh, like I do. Not everybody was born in a city like Memphis like I was. Not everybody grew up where I grew up. Not everybody serves like I serve or where I serve. Not everybody lives where I live or how I live. And so I understand I have a unique calling. I have a unique place, a unique opportunity to do and to say and to be because of who I am. So there are a lot of things that I don't talk about. Because I don't know. Like, you know, uh, I don't know. Or quite honestly, sometimes it's like, yo, that, <laughs> I'm probably not the best one to offer opinion on that. But in this city, I cannot sit silently and accept racism or accept classism or accept calculated systematic disinvestment that has run itself rampant for generations because of where I grew up. Because of where I live, because of where I serve, 
I have got to say something. And I think a lot of this push to say something, not just on today, maybe it's your first time you're like, woo, he feeling one because it's Dr. King day. Please understand, this is me week in, week out, day in, day out. I have meetings every single week centered around breaking these realities in our city, breaking down racism, breaking down classism, breaking down systematic disinvestment in certain neighborhoods. Why do you think we physically post up where we post up to break this thing? And I think a lot of the push that has come out of me has come because of these words that I read every single Martin Luther King holiday day. Each time on that Monday that we remember and we celebrate and we act, I sit down with the letters from a Birmingham jail and I don't just pacify myself with uh, neutered and watered down statements from a man who lived his very short life in a very public way to bring change that needed to be changed. I recognize the responsibility and I get challenged by the full context of words, not just those pithy little statements that make me feel good, but ones that push me entirely. Statements like this, Dr. King wrote history will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. You've heard that. You just didn't hear what was before it, ever. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. He who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. He who accepts evil without protesting against it is really cooperating with it. It's words like this that push me from sitting idly and saying, it's gonna be all right, we gonna get better, had we made some progress? You know, I got a friend that don't look like me. It says we must do something, we must say something, our silence is too expensive. And there are things that God wants you to say something about. Your silence is too expensive. And I don't say that because I'm some model and beacon of doing this, I have my moments. But I also know a lot of people who do this as well. I have a friend in this city, actually in our neighborhood, who runs a ministry rescuing men from off the street. Men who are homeless, men who often have uh, issues with substances, particularly really hard drugs. They're addicted and their life is falling apart before their eyes. And he takes men in, seems like daily, certainly weekly, into the house that by faith he is set up to run, the ministry. And he asked them to commit a year to pray, to grow, to let God change their life while also getting clean, while also getting whole, so they could step back in fully ready for all that society has for them. And he gets taken advantage of a lot. He has people act rural spiritual when he gets rural cold at night, only to spend about two, three days with them and then walk out because the weather warms up. 
Happens all the time. But there's a determination inside of him to make a difference. There's a determination inside of him to continue love, continue offering grace, continue serving people. And you know why? Because he's serving men in the same neighborhoods that about a decade ago, he was selling drugs on the street that he's pulling people off of now. He was the problem a decade ago. God has changed his life, and now he's being a part of the solution. He is uniquely qualified to say, you don't want this life. Baby, you don't know about these. You don't want this for you. And that is what drives on the inside of him saying something loud, saying something when nobody else will say it in the neighborhood. He'll stand up and say it, and I thank God for him because he is uniquely qualified. I live with someone who does this. My wife, Mindy, she's an educator. But in her educating, she specifically serves and has served for years and years and years as an advocate for kids that need accommodations with their learning. And I listen to her tell stories to me, because she needs to tell them to somebody, about what advocating looks like. Because these aren't the kids who will just need to study a little harder. These are kids sometimes who really need accommodations and help to, to be able to pass because of some learning difficulties or because of some personality realities or because of some developmental delays. They need support. They need accommodations. And sometimes she has to stand up and advocate for them to a state that may not understand or advocate for them to a to a, a district of schools that may not understand completely or advocate them to a school that doesn't necessarily always want to invest the time or the resources of the people into making it happen. Sometimes advocate to their own parents because their own parents are in denial of the reality of their kids. And I watch her stand up and say, because silence is too expensive. And she's not willing to go to bed at night Knowing that there are students who need help, who need support, who need these accommodations coming to them. And she not say everything that she can say as who she is. I have a friend named Jared. Jared um, directs the CDC for the Heights neighborhood, which is the the greater area that we're in. Berclair over here is really a part of a, this greater area that is Highland Heights that would include, you know, up well north of Jackson to Chelsea and all the way over to, to National and kind of this in, inside the 240 loop here. And he is the director of the Heights CDC. And I find him daily standing up and saying, this area matters to city leaders who are making uh, decisions about budgetary allocations. Daily standing up and saying, this area matters, these schools matter, these kids matter, these business owners matter, the people that work in these businesses matter, these roads matter, these constantly saying it. And you know what gives him a lot of credence when he says it? At the end of his day, he does not drive back to some neighborhood or some, some division of our city that may not have quite as many of the apparent economic problems as this part of our city does. He lives here in the neighborhood. 
And so he's advocating not for some place that he serves, but then goes back to an area that maybe serves him and his family better. Because he's married. He's got kids. But he is choosing to invest the whole of who he is, which makes him uniquely qualified when he asks for funding. Uniquely qualified when he says, we want to fix this street. We will work on this urban garden. We will invest in this school. Uniquely qualified to do it. Because there are things that God wants you to say something about. And friend, because of where you live, because of how you grew up, because of where you work and who you know and what you've gone through and what you're going through, you are uniquely qualified to say a thing. My question is, are you saying what you need to say? Or are you sitting in silence because it's too uncomfortable? Because there will be moments where the Spirit of God will lead you to say, Maybe that say is by do. Maybe that say is by say. Maybe that say is because you do. Whenever those moments come, please write this down. Because if there's anything we are amiss of in our society today, it is this. Please understand. Don't take lightly the moments when you say something. See, because everyone has a microphone. We call it a phone. <laughs> we think too little about the moments when we say because if we say something and it was like, oh, that didn't hit well, we could just delete the tweet. Or if we say something too off the cuff and not thought through enough, not thoughtful enough, we could just respond with another email and say, I wasn't exactly what I meant. Our need for speed has blinded us from the significance of what we say and when we say it. And the thing I love about Esther is before she said her first anything, before she said, I'm going to go meet with the king, and, and, and I'm she, she went back and gave this response to Mordecai, wrapped up into the statement maybe you've heard before, if I perish, I perish. Don't miss everything that was around me. She asked for people to pray for her and to fast for her for what it was she had to say. Esther understood the significance of the moment that was in front of her. She understood the gravity of the words that would come out of her mouth. The significance of what she had to do in order to say what she needed to say. And so she said, pray for me. Fast for me. See, the place where your silence is too expensive, please hear me. It needs you praying about it. It needs you praying for confidence. That God, don't let me back down when my moment comes. It needs you praying to continue. God, this is hard. I have been saying what you told me to say for weeks. I have been saying what you told me to say for years. And I don't see anything changing like I thought it should change. You need prayer for confidence to keep saying what you need to say. Prayer to continue saying what you need to say. Prayer to confront. Because some of you, there are conversations you know you need to have. There are spaces that you need to step into. And with your life and with your money and with your influence and with your words and with your action and with your time, you need to confront some things. But... It's always felt too hard. And you need prayer that God would help you and strengthen you and empower you to do what he's called you to do for the honor of God and not for yourself. You need lots of prayer. Because ultimately, and please write this last one down as we close. You need to say something to serve someone who can say nothing. 
The reason silence is too expensive is because the people who need to say something there can't say anything. At the moment that Esther speaks, she's the only person who can say something. Mordecai couldn't say it. Nobody could say it. At the moment she speaks, she's the only person who can say that to who it needs to be said to in a way that action will come. And she would have been safer not saying anything. She would have been safer rolling the dice and seeing what happens. Because I am the queen. But she did not choose to sit in her privilege and allow it to pacify her indifference. She risked her position. She risked her influence and even her life to say what needed to be said for others. Can I tell you the reason that silence is too expensive is because there are people, there are kids, there are future generations, there are people you know now who need you to say something because they can't say anything. They need you to say they matter by serving them. You don't understand what comes out of your mouth that never has to come out of your mouth when you roll up your sleeves and because of who you are, because of what you look like, because of where you live, because the fact that you have the ability to serve and not receive, or the fact that you have the wherewithal to serve and to be served, you serving others says something to people who don't even know what to say. You need to say that other people are significant by inviting them into your life. See, some of you, the thing that God is telling you to say that your silence is, is, is damaging and deafening on and it's too expensive on, is to open your mouth and invite somebody into your life that you know if you invited them into your life, if you really tried to be their friend you know they'd be a, more of a weight on you than they are some help. See, that's the problem. Most of us pick our friends by who can make our life better and easier. But what if God is saying, I want you to bring some people into your life so that they can see what's possible for their life. They can see what's possible to have a, a, a husband who loves his wife because that family, they don't know that. Or invite them in, even though I know there's sometimes going to be an inconvenience to you. Or sometimes it's going to feel like they ask way more of you than you ever ask of them. They can't say anything there, but you can. And your invitation can say that they matter. Your invitation can say that you see them. See, you need to say that you care by telling them that again and again and again. There are people who need you to speak up and say over and over again, I love you and I see you and I care for you and we're here for you and we're not going away. Can I tell you, that's why we have this phrase we run around. That's why we made hoodies people be wearing. We are here for good. That's why you go to our website. The first thing you're going to see is that we are here for good. Why? We want people to know, hey, the food that you receive every day when kids are served, hey, we're here for good. We ain't going nowhere. Hey, we're going to fight to make sure we can serve even more and more kids. Hey, we're here for good. Our groceries that we serve, baby, they're going to come month after month after month. We're here for good. You need prayer. We're here for good. You need people to bring education and resources to you, we're here for good. You got a problem, we're going to do everything that we can. We get connected weekly with different organizations, more and more and more to serve more and more people. We are here for good. People need to hear that from you over and over and over again. They need you to say you care by stepping in even when everyone else runs away. They need you to invite them to church. 
See, some of you need to speak up. Your silence is too expensive. There are people that you know, who you know need God, but yet you've never opened your mouth to invite them to church, which is the first level of almost like an invitation into a relationship with God for many people. Because many people through a church or many people in an environment like this or through service, this is how they're going to find God. And your silence is too expensive because they need God. You say, well, I don't know. Well, may I close today by hearkening back the words of Mordecai, which have become so famous and so synonymous with the story of Esther and leave you with the same question he left Esther with. But when Esther received this question, it moved her to action. It moved her to speak. It moved her to say, my silence is too expensive. See, maybe you were given the influence you were given with those people in that company, in your neighborhood, Maybe you were given the position you were given. Maybe God allowed you to be resourced the way you were resourced. To have access to, to have extra every. Maybe, just maybe, the reason you have what you have is to say something, to do something for such a time as this. Maybe you have enjoyed the privilege of your position. And there was nothing wrong with that, Esther. But maybe now, because of your position, it's time to say. It's time to do. It's time to sacrifice. It is time to speak. To not sit idly by, but for such a time as this. For people that you know, or people you don't know yet. For people that you love or people you don't love. For people who need God. For people who need care. For people who need you to say something and not sit passively by. Not sit idly by. But to step up and say what needs to be said. Because maybe, just maybe, God created you. God gave you and allowed experiences that he allowed upon you. For them. For such a time as this. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. I pray you move us to action. Move us to be people who do not sit idly by, who do not get content with our comforts, who do not uh, become okay with everything that is good in our lives and not open our eyes and look for those places where we need to say, where we need to do, where we need to speak up because it, it affects people we know. It affects people that we love. God, I pray you give us the boldness and the courage that Esther had with the recognition and the realization that maybe, just maybe, you've done all you've done in our lives. You've brought us to this moment for such a time as this. Father, be with us, strengthen us, empower us, and move us to action for the honor of your great name. We pray all this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.